Good morning. It's good to be with you again. I wish you would move Columbus a little bit closer to Jackson, though. Just, a, you know, a little bit. That would be a little helpful. It is a treat to be with you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we like this church. <laughs> That's not to say that there are churches we don't like, <laughs> but we like this church. Uh, we enjoy being with you. It's a real, uh, real benefit and blessing. And there are, there's some, one particular thing. Think of it this way with me. It's really good to have the ruling elders in this pulpit also. We believe in an absolute principle of the parity of the offices, parity of the office of ruler and ruling and teaching elder. They're both elders. They could be up here preaching too, but isn't it good to have elders praying and leading in worship because it is a solemn responsibility that belongs to the office where there's parity of the officers teaching and ruling elders. Thanks, thanks, thanks to the officers who are willing to be in the pulpit too on the Lord's Day. I invite you to turn with me to the scripture reading for the morning. It's found in John's letter again. We had been in John's letter the last time I was with you, but we're in chapter 3 this time. Chapter 3 of 1 John, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, right toward the end of the New Testament. Before we read God's Word, let us pray to ask His blessing on our reading, hearing, and understanding. And so we do pray, our Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, that you would attend to our reading, that it would be more than words in and words out, but that they would be words that have a major impact on our lives, making us more like the Savior and preparing each one of us for heaven in the future. For we pray in the Lord's name and for his sake, amen. John wrote by God's inspiration in 1 John 3, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one abides in no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin 
because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his neighbor, his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for the Lord is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him and we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. I'll give a little title to it. The little title is Baseline Truths. Baseline Truths, what in the world is that talking about? Although he may not seem to be quite as popular now as he was a few years ago, it seemed as though when I was driving a lot, going places, going to campuses for RUF, it seemed as though I listened to Dave Ramsey a whole lot on the radio. Have you ever listened to Dave Ramsey on the radio? I used to listen to him a lot. I agreed with a lot of what he said. I didn't agree with everything, but the man had some very good common sense that he was often giving out to people hearing him on the radio. Dave Ramsey, well, he had some real good common baseline truths that he espoused and often gave us when we were listening to him. Dave Ramsey said, among other things, that if you have financial problems, who doesn't? If you have financial problems, there's one of two ways of dealing with it. Cut the spending or earn more money. Wow. That was profound, wasn't it? Baseline truths. 
My father had little sayings that he used on occasion. Did your father have sayings? Mine did. I don't think I appreciated all of them very much, particularly at the time. But occasionally he, had, he said some things that would stick into my mind. He said this on numerous occasions. He was a blue-collar man. He worked hard. He was a blue-collar man. He said, a man's got to eat. <laughs> wow. That is profound, isn't it? He said, a man has got to be able to be cool in the summer and warm in the winter. Really? Profundity. I can't believe it. But those were just sort of simple truths that helped him get up and go to work every day. He had a hard job, had a hard life uh, being a, 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 a blue-collar man working from early to late. This is not by design. I won't tell it anyway, though. Every now and then I get off script and I have to be careful. My father worked at, uh, for a number of years at Mississippi Chemical in Yazoo City. I remember when one Friday morning he went to work, left at 7.30 and came home Sunday at noon. That was a pretty long work day, wasn't it? A man had to work. Something was broken and it was his responsibility to get it fixed. They're just truths, aren't there? I think this passage doses out a number of truths that are just rather fundamental to us. We sometimes sort of overlook them, don't we? But then at times we do remember them and pay attention to them. The first truth that I think would be appropriate to acknowledge right now is that God loves us. Wow. And that seems to be a theme of a lot of what John writes in these little letters. For didn't he say in the first uh, verse, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and such we are. God loves His people. What is love? Well, we have some analogy for it, don't we? Some of us are fathers and husbands. Some of us are wives and mothers. And some of us are children in a family. And thank the Lord, you're sitting in these pews. You have some sense of what love is like within a family. It is an analogy, isn't it? Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, said this, Love is the queen of graces. Mm. That's a sort of unusual, wow, sentence. The queen of graces. He said, it shines and sparkles in God's eyes. The nature of love consists in delighting in its object. God delights in the objects of his love. Did you hear me? Are you going to remember it? <laughs> Will you think about it on Tuesday? Would you pack it away and draw it out occasionally? I sort of think 
If we'll do that, it'll be a short sermon and let's go home. God loves his people. Thomas Brooks, another one of the Puritans, said this, God reflects upon the least good that is in or done by weak saints with an eye of love. It's like a father looking at his son or a mom looking at a mother, to use the two as sort of analogies there. God sees you so imperfect as you are this side of heaven, making progress by God's Spirit at work in you, making progress. But God sees you with the eye of love as you seek to serve Him. The son, now 40, was what, seven years old? He wanted to wash Dad's car. Ah. Uh, I'm kind of a machine person. Are there any machine people in the house? Uh, and that car never went through a car wash. <laughs> that car was always still handled rather carefully. It still sits in the driveway. <laughs> it was brand new in 1976. Where were you in 1976? Because of RUF and all those years, it has 550,000 miles on it, and it's tired but it had a lot of care. Son wanted to wash dad's car. Oh, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> and dad was very pleased with his son. It's a bare analogy, yes. But what is Thomas, what is Thomas Brooks just told us? God looks at you with the eye of love and affection. And he sees the pity of your performance he loves us. Brooks said, the Lord reflects an eye of love upon your thoughts, upon your desires, upon your tears, and upon your groans. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. How does God show this love to us? in a wonderful, condescending, and eternal fashion from all eternity past. He is not ashamed of his people. Think with me for a minute. I think we used these steps in the ladder before, but think with me for a minute. Think about these steps in the ladder and the catechism. Think with me. From eternity past into timeless eternity, if you being in Christ are in Christ, God has loved you from eternity. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. God has decreed that you and I be here today. It is not with arrogance, it is with rather uh, uh, simplicity that I say, because of God's decree, th this, this is the base, best ba baseline truth for you to hear today. Because God decreed it into eternity past. And the next is this. How does God execute His decrees? God executes His decrees in the works of creation and providence. 
what are God's works of providence? His holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. God's fingerprints are all over his people. I wonder sometimes, do you ever wonder? I falter. I, I falter. Do you falter? Do you second guess? Sometimes I second guess. Oh, I've got three other buddies and we stay pretty close and we do a lot of emailing. And uh, one brought up a topic in a little email this week. And uh, he, he was sort of wondering if we ever wonder. <laughs> and in email response, I said, I wonder sometime in ways I ought not. I wonder if I'm a Christian. Have you ever wondered that? Do you ever put it to thought are you really a person who has come to Christ and a firm faith in Him by the work of God's Spirit in you? In the midst of some of your silly sin, what do you think? I wonder sometimes. But here's the promise that God loves His people. And here's the working out of an explanation of it that God's fingerprints are all over you, polishing you toward heaven. He's the God of creation. He's the God of redemption. I just want to pray through this little list some days. A God of creation, God of redemption, God of sanctification, God of glorification. Wow. Wow. God is lovingly getting you and me to the point of being with Him to eternity. We talk about afflictions, don't we? We have afflictions, don't we? We have hard times, don't we? Oh, there are a number of people for whom I pray because they're going through hard times. And we have experienced hard times in our family. Have you? Really? You're kidding. Is it a part of, uh, of, of the human experience? Well, yes, it is. And Paul has promised, as God's word speaking through him, 1 Corinthians 10, that God will not let us ultimately stumble. But it is simply positive proof that God loves his people. Analogously, analogously, like a parent loves children. I love to see these kids here. You love to see these kids here? I love to see these kids here. I don't even, I, it doesn't even bother me when they scream sometimes. <laughs> I think it's good for the congregation to be peppered with children all in these pews. And we love them, don't we? Parents do. But it's something also about being a grandparent. Wow, you know. Maybe that's the real analogy. Grandparents seem to be especially devoted to grandchildren because they don't have, have to pay the price of managing 724, I think. But God is the one through his providence who keeps us through dark providences that we don't understand. Do you belong to Jesus? We can make it. Do you belong to the Lord? We can handle it.
because of my favorite verses in the Bible, Philippians 2, 12b and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you, causing you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Just as John wrote right in the last verse we read, and we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of God is going to keep you. The Spirit of God is going to polish you through even afflictions and hardships, making you and me all the more suited for heaven. Baseline truth number one, I, I, I think John in these little letters, that, that, that little phrase, God is love or God loves us, that's one of his big thoughts. Another thing that he's mentioned in this passage and sort of repetitively mentioned it is a second big thought, a baseline truth. Truth, we love God. We love him because he first loved us. Children love parents because they have experienced parental love in their lives. We see it, we know it, we get it, and we show it too. We show it back to what God is teaching us. In the fourth chapter, look at the fourth chapter just for a second. In the fourth chapter, in, in verses 19 and 20, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his neighbor, he's a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We love him because he first loved us. And, and that, that transports us into this whole love thing of others. But we love God, don't we? How do we quantify that? We're, we're grateful for the scripture reading and referencing that Dan, in which Dan led us already in the time of worship. In Matthew 22, Jesus is doing some powerful teaching and we grab as the heart of that powerful teaching a, a statement with two major parts in it. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is we love our neighbor as ourselves. Love is delighting in an object. Delighting in an object. And love is doing because of delighting doing because of delighting I talked to a number of seminary people students I talked to a number of preachers in fact I was on for a long time Friday afternoon <laughs> with a seminary student from Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia and I, I invariably use this illustration, trying to get particularly preacher, young preachers and seminary students to think with me about the object of our desire. I think I mentioned, I think I mentioned, don't hold me, don't hold me to it, I think I mentioned it. I do motorcycles. Not everybody likes that. <laughs> I'm almost ridden motorcycles. I think there are only six in the garage right now. <laughs> I'm weaning down. 
uh, I went to first, second, third grade on the back of my brother's motorcycle <laughs> in Kosciuszko, Mississippi. Started riding on my own at age 12. Oh, Bebo, would you please be quiet? <laughs> we don't want these kids to hear too many ideas like that. Oh, here's the illustration. Here's the illustration. And what do we delight? If you had two jobs to offer me, and one job was cleaning your motorcycle, and the other job was cleaning your toilet, which one would you assume that I'm going to do better? I give you a hint. <laughs> we delight, we do in reference to what we delight. If we're in love with God, if we're delighting in God, we are right in line with obedience to his commands for us. The same Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said this. He said, love is an industrious affection. An industrious affection. I couldn't have thought of putting those two words together in a sentence, could you? An industrious affection? He says that love does stuff. We do stuff in reference to God. And incidentally, in a minute, in reference to other people, because we love God and we love these people too. It's industrious. Yes, love is an affection, but it is an affection, a delight that works its way out in our performance. There's a little, I think a little controversy going out there today. It's, why don't we get some things solved and just let them be solved? But some people are trying to say that, well, you know, God doesn't, uh, he does, the, 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 the uh, confession chapter two rightly says that God is without passion and therefore God doesn't, he doesn't have real emotions. That's an inaccurate understanding of the word passion from the mid 17th century and the way we use passion today. God's emotion do not outrun his judgment. That's accurate. That is very accurate. But God's emotions are a part of his love for us. And our emotions are a part of our love for God. It's a baseline truth. Jesus proclaimed that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. God must have priority in our affection, period. One man said that the person who loves God is unable to find contentment in anything without him, in anything without him. God is in everything that we do and the way we do everything that we do. It is a reflection of our love for God. If we truly love God in our hearts, we grieve at things that grieve Him. We are becoming more God-like in our thinking and in our doing as the Spirit of God matures us over time. Jesus said, if you love me, Jesus said, 
summing up the Ten Commandments. Number one, love God. Number two, love other people. Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. It is accurate to say that in a way of looking at it, that could theoretically be enough. Nothing else supersedes my place in your life. Recreations, finances, family, jobs, nothing. Is that accurate with you and me? Second commandment says, you shall not make any idols. From Martin Luther in the 16th century, we seem to repeat some language over time to, to quote Calvin and, and Luther, our hearts are idol factories. We tend to create, make, build idols that we functionally bow down, to which we bow down. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, I don't often use God's name in vain. Well, do you? Well, not. I think it would be a benefit if you'd pull out a copy of the larger catechism this afternoon and read what those men in the mid-17th century thought about what would really be taking God's name in vain. It would be begrudging His providence, among other things. It would be overlooking His benefits in another way. It would be a plethora of things to be taking God's name in vain. And then there is that one that seems to give us a lot of trouble, doesn't it? Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor to all thy work, but the seventh Sabbath the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not do any work in it. Thou not thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor the ox that is within thy gates. Oh, 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 oh. We are Sabbatarians. By God's blessing, we are keeping the Sabbath better and better over time. How do you use the Lord's Day? How do you use this afternoon? It is a day of rest, yes. Had a great conversation. We had some people with us for two nights this week. Uh, the, the man was a professor at Belhaven in years gone by, RTS years gone by, president of Covenant Seminary years gone by, MTW coordinator, PCA years gone by. Uh, he works for the administrative committee of the PCA currently. And we had a good conversation of it on this very question. He is much skilled. He's a little bit older. He's old. He's a little bit older than I am. <laughs> we may still be struggling in our relationship with God in these four commandments. But I was encouraged by that conversation with him just to think through again. We are making progress by God's Spirit at work in us. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's for God's honor and for our good and for the community's good. And then Jesus goes into the other commandments. But that brings us into baseline number three. God loves me. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I love God. Do you? Number three, John just kind of shoves my nose into it in this chapter here. We love other people. Verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commands us. We tried to toss out a little fundamental definition of love early on, and we tried to say something like it was, it was delighting in some object and expressing that delight. The affection demands action. And the closing words of verse 10 suggest a close connection between righteousness and brotherly love. Verse 11, the whole Christian duty is summed up in an exercising of love that we should love one another. Verse 18, having read little children, let us not love just with word and, and, and the way we say things, but let us love other people in the way we do things. John 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 15, this is my commandment, Jesus said, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And so we find ourselves jumping into the other six commandments, not to make a sermonic effort out of each one, but, but just think about that this for a moment honor your father and mother oh, the large catechism helps it explains that that is an obedience and honor unto all those who are in positions of authority beginning with parents isn't it a sad lot to see children who dishonor their parents isn't that pretty pitiful? Did you? Isn't it a cherished thing to see when children love, honor, and respect their parents because they're their parents? Did you? This week again, someone said to me, I wish I could ask my parents some more questions. And you know what I said? I wish I could ask my parents some more questions. I wish, with hindsight, that I had come to terms better with that commandment it's as an expression of love with action. You shall not murder. And we know Jesus explains that if you have uh, hatred in your heart, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If 
you're not serving the good of others, uh-huh, uh-huh. You should not commit adultery, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. By God's grace, the church is not generally populated, filled with adulterers. Thank the Lord for it, uh-huh. What do you look at online? What do we tolerate on the TV screen? What are our thoughts? What are our rea reactions to those whom we love within the family and outside? You shall not steal. Oh, that could take us in a number of directions, couldn't it? Thankfully, as far as I know, the church is not generally populated with a lot of crooks. <laughs> it would heighten pastoral duties were it to be. <laughs> but you and I have the little things that we do, don't we? We fudge on our income tax, don't we? Don't you? Do you? We, do we? We don't work to our fullest capacity at the vocations God gives us. i tell you a little principle that a Christian plumber gave me years ago and I had to think about it and I, I'm not sure it exactly fits just right here. Maybe it's a kind of a negative example. He said, Bebo, don't employ a person for less than he's currently making because he'll do one of two things. He won't work hard because he thinks he deserves more. <laughs> or he will simply begrudge what he's getting. What, what are our attitudes about the way we work? Whatsoever you do, Paul wrote, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We love God and we are Christians. This is who we are and what we do. Hmm. You shall not covet your neighbor's whatever, number 10. Well, their baseline truths aren't there. Do you sense God's love towards you? Wrapping it up with a little conclusion here. Do you sense God's love towards you? Let me count the ways. Do you demonstrate that you have real love toward God in what ways are you committed to the well-being of other people because you love them they're human beings made in the image of God are you a Christian this little chapter I think goes a long way of painting a portrait of what a Christian thinks and what a Christian does because there's some very fundamental truths in it. God loves his people. Are you one? God's people love God. Do you? God's people love other people. How's it with you? Is it making any sense?
Let's pray. Almighty God in heaven, only by your spirit being at work will it make sense and will we make progress in serving you because we love you and serving you as we deal with others because we love you. Sir, would you be at work, please? Would you be changing me? Incrementally, yes, of course, but would you be changing me and changing these people too? For your sake, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.